Hey there, this is Jennifer Boynton. Thank you for joining me today on the True and Beautiful podcast. So today's episode features a very old friend of mine. (laughs) Not that she's very old, but we've known each other for a really long time. Her name is Mary Minor, and we actually grew up together in Texas. We recorded this episode on March 26, 2023. It's really less of a story and much more a conversation. It was my daughter's spring break, and so the two of us flew to Texas to visit family and friends, and I had asked Mary if she would record a conversation with me, and she had said yes, so I packed up my microphones and the other equipment in my carry-on suitcase, and I took them with me. And so on a Sunday afternoon, I wheeled my carry-on into her living room, and I unpacked, and I set up and pushed record, and we just talked over a glass of wine and a few nibbles that she had prepared. It was really fun. It was really fun. I just wanted to hear what she was up to lately. I wanted to hear what she was thinking about. I wanted to hear what she'd been learning. There's such a level of comfort, isn't there, when you've known somebody for a long time. I'm excited. I'm excited for you to meet Mary. I hope you enjoy. Hey, what books are you reading? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm not reading right now. I wish I was. Um, Well, I shouldn't say I'm not reading. I'm not reading a book right this minute. I am reading a couple of uh, magazines. Okay. And they're mostly... Architectural Digest or something. Yeah, well, some some design magazines, but mostly they're uh, economist magazines. Um, How does that relate to what you do? I think that everything relates to everything. And oh, that's Mary. Kind oh, of, my word. Okay, good. So I'm really interested in how the economy is doing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in this, what do we call it? A ministry team at my church that is about social justice. And it's not about necessarily... Uh, starting anything like you know oh gosh here's a need and let's start something grassroots movement kind of thing it's more about education because my church is older and mostly of one demographic you know of a certain economic a certain race and and they're very removed from people even in lower middle class even in middle class I would say sometimes and so uh, just issues that are about social justice. I'll give you an example. Okay, yeah. So today, the Sunday school lesson, I uh, volunteer in the youth. So on Sundays, I sit with a bunch. Mostly right now, it's middle school boys, which Brilliant. is so different from when Lizzie was in school mm-hmm. because it was a very great mix of boys and girls, and it was super uh, balanced, but now it's all boys and it's so funny. Cause Why, where are the girls? I don't know. You know, during COVID, it was a strange, you know, it, it was a strange time. And as they're building up the youth ministry again, it just seems like the families that have come back to church have boys. It's just worked out that way for okay. them. It's great. Uh huh. Um, boys club. Yeah, exactly. So the Sunday school lesson today was about rest and, um, this is not the first time that God has like poked me about rest because I am too busy always my whole life. And um, 
So mm-hmm. I was thinking about it and I happened to get 12 hours of sleep last night, which wow. was a miracle. And I was feeling so fresh and my brain was like, just so on point. And it occurred to me that, cause we were talking about the different ways that rest has kind of gone away from our culture. Mm-hmm. Like used to be that nothing was open on Sunday. You remember mm-hmm. like nothing except for maybe the restaurants and they only started at a certain hour and ended at a certain hour. And now it's, everything is 24 seven. And <clears throat> so I was, I'm always thinking about people who are trying to get by and have to work, um, minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. and how difficult it is to make ends meet. And then I was thinking, well, those are the people that work nights and weekends for sure. Mm-hmm. Like those are the jobs. I feel so lucky that I get off on the weekend mm-hmm. that I don't have to work in the evening, but that's a luxury that yeah. a lot of people can't afford. And yeah. so then I was thinking, well, rest is a social justice issue. Oh like, my gosh. Rest is not the same for everybody. It's not available to everybody. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have a new topic that Micah 6-8 can study. We can do, we like, we can, we can educate about rest and how we need to advocate for rest in our culture and in our church, even like our church has kind of done away with the idea of taking a sabbatical for their pastoral staff. Like used to be that it was built into your, to your work package. Like Uh you're going to get a certain number of weeks off a year that you can rest and you can reconnect to your mission. Like, am I called to this and what am I called to? And (laughs) anyway, so everything's connected to everything. And so I, right now I'm reading about the economy because I think it's very interesting time. What did you read? So what are you reading? I like, I like Bloomsburg Business Weekly because nice. I think that they're really well done. Their articles are great. And then I like I like Forbes and Fast Company and um Do you do this like on your computer? On your phone yeah, or on paper? I, I used to subscribe, but it was a lot of paper and uh-huh. I've gone away from that. It's probably not as easy on my eyes. I go to the eye doctor way more than I used to. Uh-huh. But yeah, everything's on my phone mostly. I read on my phone. Okay, can we go back to the whole rest mm-hmm. idea? So your Sunday school class was on rest, like you were talking to yeah. these middle school boys. Yeah, so our curriculum right now, it's really, we've gone through a bunch of different curriculums. And, you know, I go to a Baptist church, yep. which I never thought I would say that. Yeah. But I love it. I love it. It's it's all about the people uh-huh. and the people in this church. It's kind of a revolutionary Baptist church, actually. Yes, last week, someone got up to give the offertory prayer because we still do like the whole, you have, it's there's an order of worship uh-huh. that's very Baptist, but she got up and this is a woman in her late 60s probably. And she said today, she has an interesting accent. I don't know where it comes from, but she was like, today I want to thank the Lord for all the women in this church because it's women's history month and i want to tell you about the history of women in trinity baptist church and she went on to say that they had ordained the first women minister in like the 70s no and right now we have um three out of five of our pastors are women wow and we had we introduced women into the deacon uh-huh. body or whatever you call it. Is that in place of in do you the have 70s. deacon boards? In, uh, sorry for interrupting. No, that's okay. Uh, 
you have a deacon board? Do you have an elder board? Or just we have trustees. Okay. So we have trustees and we have deacons. Uh-huh. And the deacons are like the workhorses of uh-huh. the church. I became a deacon last uh-huh. year. I know. I think that's year. fantastic. I know. It's really fun. But what I didn't know was that there are 40%, we're 40% women, which is pretty cool, uh-huh. I think. So I think, you know, one of the things that attracted to me to my church was the way that women are empowered uh-huh. to by, use their gifts. by From the top down. From the top down. Absolutely. From the moment that I step in the door, it's always been from the top down. And I don't see that changing anytime, which is fascinating. I would go somewhere else if it did, because uh-huh. I just don't know that I could do any other way now. It's just fascinating. How did your gifts get seen? Did you have to knock on doors or did people say, no. hey, Mary, you're just really good at this. Let me tell but, you where so, we could use you. <laughs> so this is one of the things that I also love about it. I The minute that I joined the church, I got a phone call from someone who's become a really good friend. And he was immediately like, hey, Mary, uh, it's Michael and with the ministry matching team. And I just want to ask you, like, where do you see yourself serving? Oh my gosh. And you know, I imagine that that conversation goes like a hundred different ways, Uh but for me it was great because it was, it was like, welcome. And also we're about service. And what do you think? So that was where I like, the first thing I did was say, okay, I'm a single mom. I need to stay close to my kid right now. So Uh I'll serve in the youth with her so that my schedule and her schedule can coincide a lot. And immediately I got really connected and not too long after that, I joined Micah 6-8 and, um, that I think, you know, like any organization, you say you see a lot of the same people doing uh-huh. most of the work. Uh-huh. But I also think that the first thing that you're asked is like, what do you want to do? How do you right. see yourself getting involved here? And <clears throat> that's how you can find real church. Like, right. To me, you can go to church every Sunday and you can get something out of it. But what I really have found church to mean is relationships. Uh And you can't really find that until you get involved. And that's Uh how I've really loved my church. So back to the youth, we've invested in a ton of different Sunday schools over the year, Sunday school curriculum. But lately, this one is very about like touching base with the kids' feelings and how they navigate life. And then how does God fit into that? And it's so practical. Yeah. And I love it so much. So right now it's about focus. And it has taken like so many different turns, like not just about focusing on how do you pray or how do you, you know. Like the spiritual stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. But also like today um, we were talking about how how do you rest? Like how do you unplug? How do you take a break? How do you re rejuvenate yourself. And what was really scary was when we were talking about how many people feel like they're stressed out all the time or their time is all accounted for. Almost everybody raised their hand and these are middle schoolers, most of them. Yeah. So it's a real issue. And I really appreciate that there's people out there writing curriculum for, um, you know, people who want to learn more about God. And they're very cognizant that we've got big issues that you have to tie into a spiritual relationship. Right. Mental health being like at the top of the list, right. in my opinion. Yeah, and it. Who? Thank you, whoever wrote this curriculum, because uh, they're treating the ch- the kids with respect, mm-hmm. and you know uh, they're um, 
not dumbing things down or, you know, keeping it like, here's what we talk about in church. We don't talk about anything else or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's interesting that you said that the concept is rest or the, it's the, the chapter focus. I mean, the chapter or the unit, if you will, is about focus. But oh, focus. Okay. Yeah. It, it incorporated a lot of different things. We talked about, um, we talked about the actual idea of focus and how difficult it is sometimes to narrow your scope and multitasking sometimes takes away from us being able to really you know, do one-on-ones with each other or with God or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, okay, that's interesting because um, I have, have the opportunity to go to Switzerland for mm-hmm. a missions trip with a group of women in our church. How fun. That's in April. And what we're doing is... Um, going to support a husband-wife team that are there that are sort of um, missionary support for missionaries all around Europe. Okay. So the woman is inviting all her women that she supports, you know, some from Greece or France or Germany, Spain, Uh to... This one place close to Interlochen, I think, uh-huh. for a conference, and the theme is rest. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I told you God has been poking me yeah. about this. Well, so yeah. I had lunch with a couple of families that I'm really close to, and I'm sitting across from this guy. He's a financial planner, and he's he does a lot of working from home, so I know his work life and his... Uh-huh. his other life, his family life and everything. They have a lot of overlap. And so I was like, well, hey, what's going on? And touch a base. And he's reading something. It was the art of not being busy or something like that. And it was, it was the same concept. Uh-huh. And I have been struggling so much right now. I've gotten so busy with work that I... Like my brain just feels like it's on overload Uh and it's so hard for me to remember things that I should remember. Uh And I'm thinking, okay, this is my body telling me, you know, beep, 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 beep. You've got to slow down. This is too much. Um, so it's good. It's a good, and I think we've, we culturally, what I thought was interesting was today, um, August was teaching and he was, uh, he was saying that especially in America, we have, almost demonized oh, rest uh-huh. where it's considered lazy or not a good use of your time or, you know, not productive. Right. And, and that, you know, we've talked ourselves out uh-huh. of prioritizing it for sure. Uh-huh. And so I would really, I would like to get back to a place where I can not feel guilty uh-huh. about recharging uh-huh. and really making it an important part of my life to just, I don't know. Get away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not feel, not feel like I need to be doing something else. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like my brain is always thinking about my to-do list. Uh And, um, have you always been like that? I don't know. 
I don't know. I've always been a hard worker. Uh I've always been a little bit of a workaholic. And I think that might probably be because I feel so satisfied about Uh progress and accomplishment. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I've, I've most of the time been super lucky and enjoying what I do. And so I get a lot of pleasure out of it. So I'm sure that's part of it too. But on the flip side, the unhealthy side is that it's difficult for me to stop thinking about it when Uh I'm away from it. So when you become conscious of that, how do you unplug and plug into something different? Well, I like to, I like to, I like to add some unplug to my work. So I have a lot of overlap. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I think that makes it, I think that makes it good. I hope it does. Um, so I play Bunko once a month with this group of designers and, um, I think it's a great example of unwinding. We're not working, but you know, we know each other from work and so it's a great way to, to be friends with someone not at work and, feel I don't I don't I don't know it feels good yeah I love it they're fun women that's interesting all women yeah um so Jeremy is well a financial planner wealth management and um he has I don't know for how many years but he has some clients in Seattle and you know we love Whistler so he will add time to his schedule when he goes to see clients and he'll take himself up to Whistler to unplug. Yeah. To kind of get out from under, mm-hmm. just a little farther away from, you know, what's happening in his business so that he can see from a different vantage point and, you know, think about things, ask himself questions and recharge. Mm-hmm. And usually he comes back... Um, with some good creative ideas or at least questions, you know, okay, here's what I need to be asking. Right. And he, maybe twice a year, Mm -hmm. he does that. That's good. Yeah. It's really good. I think friends have been a huge way for me to have a reality check. Uh Uh-huh. You know, my sister, Uh Natalie, just... The people that I love, Melissa, uh-huh. um, this year has been incredible because of what happened in Uvalde and Melissa's yeah. like close proximity to that. And that alone, just talking to her is a good reset because it allows me to like just say stop worrying and thinking about what you're going through. So yeah. many people are dealing with other things. Yeah. And there's, you know, more than just your reality out there. Right. It's, it's great. It's a good reality check. I bet Mike does Micah six eight also play into that too the social justice work and how did you s- get started? Can you define what Micah six eight is and then? So I think our official um, definition is we're a ministry team of Trinity Baptist Church that focuses on educating our population on social social justice issues. Uh-huh. So super broad. Um, We've done a bunch of different programs from, you know, addictions to immigration to affordable housing and... I remember um, you did a hunger. 
we did a hunger we've done a couple of hunger ones we just recently did a really good hunger um program and then we followed it up with a book study on wednesday nights because of course we're baptists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but uh we're we've got another immigration event coming up next month um that i think promises to be really good so we're we're focused on education and all of our programming tries to bring people in with different perspectives to talk about difficult issues one that we really want to talk about but i don't think our church is ready we keep getting a lot of pushback from the pastoral staff is like um homosexuality Uh uh-huh you know let's talk about sexual orientation it's a huge topic right now that um i think maybe our pastoral staff is worried that they'll have to take a stance on a question that they're not ready to talk about like they're not ready to do that and of course everybody in our social justice committee is is probably of the same persuasion Uh so it's it's hard for us to swallow but i totally understand it Uh um things like that you know conversations that are hard to have but that as a church as our congregation stands you know we don't run into every day and so we need to talk about it so that we can be aware for one and then every person hopefully can decide how they want to serve or how they want to help this issue because our goal is to be showing showing need yeah how did you find out about micah 6 8 there was a a couple actually um that started micah 6 8 and um they are uh well she is from kenya and he was the pastor's son. Oh, and, interesting. Um, yeah, so together they started Micah Six Eight and um, passed it on to um, me. Actually, um, really? Yeah. Wait, did I know this? So you are the director? Or no, what's it's your- a. Uh, I'm the chair. I guess is okay. what it's called. Uh, but what it really means is I'm the calendar organizer. Okay. <laughs> I think that as directors go, I'm, I don't follow Michelle's footsteps at all. She was a powerhouse and she is, a, continues to be a powerhouse. But I think, you know, as an African-American woman, she felt like, hey, I'm carrying the burden of all of these issues that I face on my shoulders and, um, you know, that's a lot for one person to carry in a mostly white church. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I think organizations are better when leadership is passed around. Uh-huh. I'm ready to pass it off to someone else. And I'm just praying that someone will step in that has, you know, the capabilities. Because not that I don't want to be involved anymore, but I think that sharing leadership makes better it makes people you know keeps the organization unstuck unstuck and also you know fresh and Uh representative of more than one person's point of view Uh because i'm sure i come at things try as i might you know from my own whatever pov Uh and i anyway but it's it's a great thing and i the reason why i'm still doing it is because nobody's stepped up yet and i don't want it to go away uh-huh. somebody's got to do it uh-huh. but that's kind of my big like stumbling block is that if i see a need and nobody steps up to the plate i will usually volunteer for it and that's why i'm probably got overtaxed it. like yeah. i feel like there's always a need there's always something yeah and i don't know why i think um 
think it's so unusual, but I grew up and my sister feels the same way. I don't know about my brothers, probably. I mean, I grew up feeling like I could do anything that I put my mind to. I'm capable. I'm utmost confidence. I could do anything. Your sister thinks the same of her. And I think that's such an interesting, like not everybody feels that. So, and I didn't realize that right away. And you know, my parents are phenomenal, but I wouldn't immediately tag them as somebody who would raise kids to believe they could do anything. So it's fascinating to me that we all grew up feeling that way. And my parents obviously empowered us to feel that way, despite our backgrounds, you know, Mm -hmm. like despite the the where we grew up and what we grew up with yeah so do you think it has anything to do with your dad and the way he attacked business probably yeah like we're all also kind of entrepreneurial yeah for sure in fact i've been thinking about that a lot i would like lizzie to be more entrepreneurial not that she has to be an entrepreneur but i want her to like nurture that right and like how can i teach that to her how can i give her that right now something yeah. I've been really turning over like you've got this you can you're smart you can ask the right question to ask questions like there is always a way like yeah. there's just I'm never worried about that because I always feel capable like even if the rug were to be completely pulled out from under me I, I'm never worried about being able to do something well always be able to do something uh-huh. I could do anything so there's always going to be something that needs to be uh-huh. done no worries. I will I will always be able to You realize provide. that I don't naturally come to that perspective or opinion or idea of myself. I am more of um well, I'm hopefully coming out of that, but more like I'm kind of waiting for somebody to show me the way. Mhm. Yeah. And you know Natalie, uh-huh. uh, who I love to pieces. She was just asking me, she sent me some picture of this guy who arranges flowers and he is, he does a beautiful job. And she was like, I would like to do that. And I was like, you can do that. If you want to do that for a living, then do it. Cause you could, uh-huh. but she's immediately her, her anxiety is, Oh, I can't do that. Uh-huh. And it's a, and, and she struggles with that a lot. Uh-huh. I remember when she quit. UPS and she wanted to start doing nails and sh- and I had to really like convince her that she could do that and of course she could uh-huh. of course she could I mean uh-huh. she's been wildly successful at it yes. for two decades yes. now she's brilliant she's brilliant but it's you know it's a mindset and I keep yeah, thinking God I hope I'm giving that to Lizzie yeah. I hope that my kid is getting whatever it was that my parents gave us uh-huh. that made us really confident I mean look at John uh-huh. like, oh my gosh. Whatever. Yeah. Uh What is that? That's Uh crazy. It is crazy. I'm thinking two words for myself anyway, in regard to what that's all about in me, you know, just not the, of course I can, you know, number one, perfectionism. Like I, I have to get it right. Or that's probably a big one because we certainly don't feel like we have to be perfect. (laughs) Uh huh. Okay. And love it. Thank you. Yes. And the other one is, um, for whatever reason, dude, um, fear of failure. Yeah. You know? And that is why this whole enterprise, you know, Mm -hmm. learning how to do true and beautiful and is, uh, I cannot quit. I just cannot 
I just have to take the very next step. Even if it's just a teensy step, I have to keep going until, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's a fight with me, yeah, to maintain that mindset or conviction that this is what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. and I can do it and... Yeah, and if I don't know it, then I can learn it or ask somebody. And Well, I think you're right. I think that um, fear of failure is probably the number one reason why anything doesn't happen mm-hmm. or anything encounters some kind of resistance on our part. Mm-hmm. Um, because for sure, we're going to get things wrong. And for sure, we're not going to be right at it the first time around. You kind and of expect that about yourself? I think probably the biggest thing is that I just ignore it when I can. Now, I don't always. I'm, I have been single my whole life. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of that is due to like a fear of intimacy with someone uh. and someone rejecting me. Uh-huh. 100%. But as far as the rest of my life goes, uh-huh. fuck that. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. I can totally. Yeah. I, I, I don't care. Uh-huh. And that sometimes has bit me in the butt because... Uh-huh. I I do need to have sensitivity like 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 touch bases like make sure that you are putting yourself in someone's shoes and as I get older I find that I have gotten way better at that uh-huh. way better at empathy and at um, being more sensitive and but I attribute that one hundred percent to parenthood okay life changed drastically for me when I had Lizzie uh-huh. because I learned one. Like one day to the next, I learned that I needed people. Like I never really felt I that I needed anyone else. I kind of thought, okay, I can do it. Uh-huh. I can do it on my own. I've got this. And so independent. Oh yeah, that's and one I, of the things I just love about you. But but try I being know. a parent uh, without yes. other people, and yeah. then you're just lost. Toast. Yeah. So that was big. God just used my kid to teach me all kinds of things, and the. The best thing she used me, she taught me, has been to um, just be more empathetic, and and that people need people, and that's a good thing. Uh-huh. We learn from it, we grow from it, and there's how, no other way. Okay, so um, how you said as you've gotten older, you have learned empathy. Okay, so one is Lizzie. I feel like. Can you talk a little bit about um, the, oh my gosh, it is the Enneagram okay. book. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So this is through my church again. Oh, okay. Um, Christopher Mack was our associate pastor at the time. He's since moved on to um, a church in Austin and we miss him every day, but uh. he's, he's phenomenal. I cannot tell you enough about how much he uh, enriched my spiritual life. And one of the biggest ways was um, he he has some kind of certification through um, Suzanne. can't remember her last name, but anyway, she's the a big, author of the book. Uh-huh. The, the Way, Something the Way. I, I have a terrible memory. The Road memory. Back to You? The Road Back to You, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, exactly. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, so he has been through her program and been certified and they're friends. And so he's a really good teacher of the Enneagram, if you will. 
and he's done several classes at Trinity. And I took one and then I was like, teach another one right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Uh, because it really opened my eyes um, to, you know, I'm an eight. and Which means? Um, I've read a lot of different definitions. I think some of the nicer ones are like a challenger. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, um, you know, it's it's the person who advocates and who is um, uh, just always sort of thinking about whether or not I mean, we're kind of protectors and. Uh-huh. Social justice goes hand in hand uh-huh. with like my the things I'm passionate about. But what I learned was that not everybody cares, and that's okay. Uh-huh. Like not everybody feels the need to fix things, uh-huh. and that's okay. And I think that was an eye opener for me because I have always been like the missionary. Like, come on, guys, get on board. We could do this. We could change the world. Let's yeah. all do it. Yeah. It takes only one person. Look at Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and 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 it's been just eye-opening to me. I guess it's been maybe like six or seven years now that not everybody feels that need. Like, yeah, I they're totally on board with all of what Martin Luther King Jr. said and did and support, like, the ideas, but I don't have to be the one. I don't have to. So it's been interesting to me to um, it, learn how to navigate different personalities without pushing. I guess uh-huh. that's the biggest thing, without pushing someone else. And, you know, Lizzie is a seven, and she's like the joy, the energy, uh-huh. like bringing the whole the life gr- to yeah, the party. Yeah. And so it has been so helpful with me for her to like celebrate her strengths and not try to push her into being like a world changer. And what has happened is that she's become a changer in her own way, in her own right. And I think that's the goal. Yeah. And what has been the most beautiful part of learning the Enneagram is that as we all get closer to healthy, Uh we all kind of get in touch with the ways that we're alike. Uh And so she's got a little bit of aid in her and it's beautiful to see. Uh And yet at the same time, she'll always be that, that, person who loves energy and she loves having a good time and yeah she's she brings people together she does she really does uh-huh. i was challenging her the other day not to feel down about something she didn't have she wasn't good at because she's so good at that mm-hmm. like she's so good at that that she changes the room when she walks in the wow. door and that's you special. told her that was, yeah and she was like thanks Yay for you oh thanks. my gosh but it's true and i'm really excited to see what her future holds because i think it's going to be pretty special uh-huh. she's amazing that's a great place i think to pause the conversation you know with the thought as Mary talked about being Lizzie's mom and how they're so different. But the thought that both are changers in their own ways and in their own right. I love that. It builds courage in me to think that we can all be changers, be impactful with our own unique personalities and experiences. Really good. So next time we'll pick it up again and hear the second part of my conversation with Mary. I'll talk to you again really soon. Be well.